Hello, everybody. This is episode 14 of Beyond the Veil, a Harry Potter podcast all about mental health. I'm your host, Madison Ford. Welcome back, and thank you all so much for listening. We are back with personal interviews in today's episode, and our guest is Anella Schaefer. Anella is a student teacher, and she spoke with us about her struggles with chronic illness, mental health, and how the Potter books helped her cope with these issues. I want to give a brief trigger warning for this week's episode. We very briefly discuss self-harm. In the description below, the timestamp of that conversation is marked, so please skip over if that's something you want to avoid. And this week, our whisper segment is back. All right, y'all, let's dive in. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Beyond the Veil. Today, our guest is Anella Schaefer. Anella, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, well, let's get started. Just tell us a little bit about yourself, like who you are, what you like to do, anything you'd like to share. Okay. So, again, my name is Anella. I live in Pennsylvania, the U.S., for anyone who might be listening outside of the States. Um, right now, I'm a student. I work at Barnes & Noble. I've also been an intern for MuggleNet before, so have a little bit of history with the website, which I was really excited <laughs> when I saw your new little side project. Really thought it was a really cool idea and something that should be talked about. Well, thank you. I agree. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really about it. I have hectic life right now, school, I'm helping out with theater, so here, there, and everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Um, do you have any Potter information you'd like to share, like your Hogwarts house or your Patronus? Oh, yeah. Very proud Slytherin. Woohoo! I first got into the book right before the fourth book came out, so showing my age a little. And I remember always thinking I was a Gryffindor. Then Pottermore came out, took the official test when I was back in undergrad, got Slytherin. I cried for two days, but I was also the only person who was surprised. <laughs> And I've since come to embrace it. Very proud Slytherin. Have a goddaughter who will be nine this month. She's also a Slytherin. Woohoo. Uh, <laughs> Whole family. Oh, yeah. Overmorny house. Um, I'm a Thunderbird. And my Patronus is a mole, which I always thought was a little strange, <gasps> but I'll take it. Whatever. <laughs> what good that. that's going to do against the Dementor, but hey, no, no. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. So will you tell us a little bit about how you first came in contact with the Harry Potter series? Oh, yeah. My um, paternal grandmother actually gave me the first three books. I think it was for Christmas. And I thought they looked stupid, so I put them in my closet and ignored them for a few months. And then I ran out of other things to read, so I started reading them, and it went downhill from there. And it was our thing. So every time a new book would come out, she would take me to the premiere party and things like that at the bookstores and everything. And she passed a few years back now, but like, I still remember her from it. Every time I crack open a book, I think of my grandma. And then I now have a goddaughter, so I've kind of passed it on with her. So that's how I got started with Harry Potter. Pretty similar story to, I'm sure, a lot of people, but that's mine. I love when people get it sort of passed on to them with a family member. Um, that's just, it, there's something that feels so magical about someone you love passing you a book that sends you on a whole different you know, just a wild journey into something you never expected. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. Completely changes your life. Yes. So let's kind of get into our topic for today. 
Um, so you deal with a couple of health conditions. Um, these are situs inversus totalis and uh, Cartagener syndrome, if I said that correctly? Correct. Okay. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about these conditions and how they affect you? Yeah, definitely. So situs inversus totalis is where all the internal organs are on the opposite side. It's like looking in a mirror. Then Cartagener syndrome is the one that causes all the issues. Um, with that, mycelia doesn't function. So that's like the little hairs that line your body, the inside that help move all the gunk and keep out disease and things like that. Mine either don't move or they move incorrectly. Mm -hmm. So with that, on my best of days, I have about 60% the lung function of a normal person. Well, I shouldn't say mm. but in terms of a healthy person without it, uh -huh. a lot of gastrointestinal issues, hearing issues, really bad um, sinuses and things like that. So it kind of just impacts everything. Gotcha. That's a, I'm sure that that affects your life in ways that, you know, those of us without those problems can't imagine. Um, and you grew up with these issues too, which couldn't have been easy. And I wonder how these problems affected you mentally and emotionally as you were growing up. Yeah. So my little sister actually has it too. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's, that's very strange. Normally it's something that affects identical twins. Mm -hmm. I haven't heard of any cases of other siblings having it. So we may be the first, we may not be, I don't know. But with that, it definitely took its toll. She was always a lot more, she was always a lot more sick than me. Mm -hmm. My parents obviously had to give her a lot more care and attention. So that's probably where the biggest impact came from. Um, that and not feeling normal. Like you would see other kids, oh, I'm going to have a sleepover. And I would have to say, oh, well, I can't come because I don't have all my medications or my treatment vests with me. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Right. <laughs> um, with that, people who have chronic illness tend to be more prone to depression anyway. And it mm -hmm. very heavily on both sides of my family. So I do have severe chronic depression as a result that I've been battling with my entire life, probably since I was about 12. I'll be 28 this month. So that, I think, would be the biggest impact, the resulting depression, even more so than the physical stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that there hasn't been good that's come from it. Like, me and my sister were both Make-A-Wish kids. So we got to go embark on that. We got to go to Disney World. And it was the first year that the Disney Cruise came out. So we got to go on that. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was really neat. And that was actually our first family vacation because financially my parents could never afford to because they were always paying medical bills and things like that. Mm -hmm. So that was really cool to get to go do that. Like, so good has come from it. It's impacted me in good ways, too. Yeah. It, it was definitely especially as a child when you can't grasp really because I mean your brain's just not developed enough you literally cannot see how it impacts other people so like there was a lot of strain between my relationship with my mother as a result and things like that because I couldn't see that oh it's putting just as much pressure on her right adult I have come to have a much more healthy relationship with things in terms of my mental and emotional health but as a child definitely could not comprehend anything and just thought it was the worst thing that could possibly happen to anyone yeah i think i i mean i think we don't talk about mental health enough in general um 
and the connection to physical health, especially with children. That's just something that really needs to have more of a conversation. And I'm glad to hear that as you've gotten older, it's become a little more, you know, comprehensible, which sometimes help. So in your submission, you kind of talked about how a lot of people would say that your health conditions are the most important things about you. And that a lot of people, when they look at you, they don't really look any further than these diagnoses. And I was wondering if you'd talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, so that would definitely be, I mean, we had to go to the doctor on a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of our, my world at growing up was just doctor's offices and hospital visits. And I mean, now I'm like, well, that's their job. Right. But as a child, it definitely, it felt like I was nothing more than an oddity. Mm. A lot of times with my condition being as rare as it is, you don't know what medications are going to help. You don't know what treatments. You're taking treatments from other diseases and other illnesses and applying it to this and hope that it'll have a positive effect. But there's technically no standard treatment for what I have. Mm-hmm. Being seen as kind of almost an experiment, it felt like. And it was like all these people, they just see me for what I physically cannot do beyond and not seeing who I am as a person. There's anything I would want to do if I wanted to do summer camp. Well, we have to go to a doctor and make sure that they say that you can. Yeah. And a lot of times they would say, oh, you're not going to be able to do it. Which, being a bit of a hairy, I guess, I was like, watch me. <laughs> <laughs> So I was, a bit, I was definitely a bit rebellious as a teenager as a result. <laughs> but and then even with even with family, like I said earlier, if I wanted to spend the night at my grandmother's, oh, well, we have to make sure that you have everything that medically you'll need. Because we would do something called a therapy vest and for half an hour in the morning and in the night. And it basically just shakes you to try to break up all the gunk in your lungs. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't have that, it was like, well, you can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. So it really started to feel like people only saw me for what my body couldn't do. Yeah. Because it impacted everything just from how I slept to what time I got to wake up in the morning and things like that. How did it um, with people, because your family and your doctors, you know, they're obviously they're dealing with this alongside you um but for people at school maybe your peers or your friends did you feel the same kind of uh feeling as with your family and doctors um with some of them I was sick a lot as a kid so I was kind of a bit of a loner naturally Mm -hmm. and the few times I was actually able to make a friendship I would say no but I definitely didn't put myself out there as much as I think I could have yeah so I kind of and it kind of goes into what we'll talk about later with Lupin like that's kind of where I really saw myself with him like you do I really just started to isolate myself in a way yeah I'm sorry to hear that and I uh, it's it's tough when you have that much to deal with as a kid it's it's really hard to put yourself out there when everything is so overwhelming Um, Mm -hmm. but like you said, uh, at some point Potter came into your life and you, you know, prisoner of Azkaban comes out 
and you had this wonderful role model in Remus Lupin, um, who the, you know, the connection is pretty uh, instant. You, you know, he's reduced to being a werewolf by the people around him, but obviously he is so much more than that. Um, so I'm just curious what kind of that, you know, what do you love about Lupin? What was your initial relationship? Just gush about Lupin as much as you'd like. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, I'll admit, I'm, I, from the very beginning, I was always torn. Do I like Lupin more? Or do I like Sirius more? <laughs> I'm not decided, but Lupin has definitely become a role model for me. Mm-hmm. He just, my favorite thing I would say is that he has his moments of bitterness and anger, and we see that, but he doesn't let it define him. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, he is just so kind and so sure of who he is as a person beyond being a werewolf. While you see the stress and how he still fights that even as an adult and how it impacts him, he still knows, I think, in his deepest heart of hearts that he is more than that. Mm-hmm. That that is something that his condition cannot take away. That's wonderful. That's a really powerful influence, I guess, to have as a child or an adult, just in general. And I wonder how that role influenced you. It it has influenced me over the years, I would say. Like, as a kid, I just saw him kind of at a surface level. And it was more of a, oh, yeah, he gets it. Mm-hmm. Like, we'd be we could actually talk about things and like he would understand but as the years have progressed I have kind of tried to keep that in the back of my head because when you're dealing with things be it depression or chronic illness or anything like that I think it is very easy and very normal to become very bitter and so that is something that I have constantly tried to keep in my mind and so it's like what would Remus Lupin do yeah <laughs> Like, to realize that, okay, it is okay to have these feelings, to be angry, to be bitter. But at some point, you have to move on and be the person you want to be and not the person that your physical ailments are trying to make you be. Definitely. That's really important that uh, you can't can't get rid of those feelings at all. And if you try and invalidate them, you're going to struggle to move on from them. So I wonder as you have lived, you know, with this kind of what would Lupin do uh, motto, um, what sort of effect did this, has it had on the choices that you're making in your adult life? You know, it's, I would say the biggest one was being an adult is in book seven when he has that moment where he tries to like leave Tonks and go with Harry after he finds out that she's pregnant. Like as an adult, I understand that so much more. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I have zero intention to have biological children for the same reasons that Lupin did. And, you know, with that, there has always been a bit of that guilt. And having someone else almost look at and see, like, no, those are valid reasons. And, like, to also think, like, there are so many Harrys and Teddies out there that need someone else. Like, that is a perfectly valid option beyond and I think it is too beyond just oh well I don't want to pass these on or I can't have children like I I love 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 the idea of adoption Mm -hmm. 
And so I would say that's probably the biggest influence on my adult life. Um, just kind of working through those issues, those very adult issues of things like children and the big life decisions that you're kind of expected to make. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious if there are any other sort of ways that you relate to Lupin, like how that, how does that relationship between you and yourself work? Or sorry, <laughs> that relationship between him and you work in your head? Um, I think we're very similar personality wise. Mm-hmm. And that we're both very, we can be very quiet, but we can also be very outgoing when we need to be. Like I have an acting degree. So I think a lot of times, particularly when I was younger, it would be much like Lupin, where it would be put on the face that people need to see. Be the stoic teacher, be the don't let people in, wear that mask very heavily. Right. And just a lot of, I understood his frustrations Mm -hmm. and and his self-hate and that utter self-loathing at what you are and the fact that you cannot change it no matter how disgusted you are by your weaknesses Mm -hmm. so I really related to him on that level I related on to relate to him for his good and his bad because I mean he is flawed every character is and every person is and I saw a lot of his flaws as my flaws too and so that kind of has become also in my adult life a good almost a good warning of like, okay, you've, while he's fictional, like you've seen where all of these flaws can lead. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's a, I think that's really wonderful. And thank you for sharing that. I feel it's um, the good and the bad. It's sometimes it's hard to talk about, you know, sometimes the, maybe the shame that we feel or you use the word disgust. And um, I feel like we don't like to, talk about those feelings that we have so it's really important to share them so thank you so like Lupin uh, you are you know you're well you're going to school to be a teacher Um, Mm -hmm. and you said in your submission that you're kind of advocating for students who need support and I was hoping that you could tell us a little more about this yeah so kind of like you had said earlier I feel half of the issue with mental health is the stigma that surrounds it. Yes. So I do try to talk about it. I, with teaching, there is a fine line of you cannot get too personal. Right. But if there's an opportunity, like I have talked to my students just in passing, like, yeah, I have depression. Like I have really bad anxiety. It's it's a thing. <laughs> I can't it. I'm not going to be ashamed of it. No matter how I may have felt in the past and how I sometimes still feel like I will allow myself to be shamed into silence. Mm -hmm. I will talk about it because it needs to be talked about because then those kids know that if they are going through something like I may have not gone through what they have gone through and they have not gone through what I have gone through but in the end we can kind of meet halfway and have a sort of you get it. Yeah. You try to be very open open in a way that may where I'm still professional but where I open that door for students who may need someone to talk to and who may be lost and confused I want to say how wonderful it is um 
I think a lot of us, when we think about activism of any kind, there's this idea that we are, um, you know, going to a protest or um, doing some kind of social media activism or that there's some kind of organization about what we're doing. But this is a really wonderful example of just talking to people, you know, uh, being honest about yourself and not oversharing, but just sharing enough in a way that you're being a vocal advocate without any bells or whistles on it. And that's that's much more uh, relevant to a lot of us than sometimes those, um, you know, hashtags or even like a mental health awareness month. While those things are important, we need activism in our daily lives. And that's just as simple as talking to somebody. So I think what you're doing is really important. Do you have any stories about this or is it just kind of a, a general thing that you're doing, trying to be mindful of as you teach? It's really just something right now that I'm trying to be mindful of. Um, right now, I'm only in my student teaching. Mm-hmm. So I'm with ninth graders right now who are kind of at the perfect score to be bit by the depression werewolf. Yes. But, um, <laughs> I haven't had too much of an opportunity to get them to, to get to know these kids to the level I would like. Mm-hmm. Like there are have gotten I would say close with but I just haven't been around enough yet or have taken over their classes enough yet Mm -hmm. so I think when I own classroom it'll definitely be something that I kind of set up from day one especially with how I let them talk to each other right um and I think it's going to also be in subtle ways like I have my classroom library and I try like if there's one thing I've learned and it it's going to sound kind of cliche, but representation is so important. Mm-hmm. Loving Lupin when I didn't have maybe adults that I felt comfortable talking to about how I felt. Right. Was major. It was life changing. So even if my students don't feel like they come, they can come to me for whatever reason, I still want them to hopefully have something that they can go to and have a role model, whether it's literary or real in the real world. So right now where it's it's just been the silent things really Mm -hmm. that's wonderful that's uh i hope that lots of people are doing what you're doing and sort of preparing to use their uh positions to especially among you know ninth grade like geez what a time that is in everyone's lives um right (laughs) (laughs) um i'm curious what inspired you to be a teacher well if I'm being perfectly honest much like Lupin it was kind of something that just happened to work out Mm -hmm. I had gotten a degree in theater and I was doing the cliche of waitressing tables (laughs) and I realized that that was not working for me that I needed to do something else Mm -hmm. just miserable so I ended up going back to school and just kind of the more I learned about the education world and the more I was around kids, the more I slowly ended up liking it. Uh-huh. It was a bit of a Hail Mary. <laughs> I have really come to love it. And it's something that I would say maybe I just had my Albus Dumbledore that offered me the chance to and it kind of grew from there. The love and the passion for education. Yeah. Because it wasn't something that it honestly wasn't something I thought I could do. Mm-hmm. Just with my health being around 
sick kids all day, possibly spreading all their little germs and whatnot. I was like, well, my health can't possibly handle that. Mm -hmm. And I think student teaching has taught me that it really can because I have not gotten sick yet. Oh, yay. (laughs) Yeah. So I, the, while the inspiration is there now, it originally wasn't. It was very much like Lupin of a, well, I, I need something. Right. So the inspiration kind of came later, but I've just been rolling with it and I plan on rolling with it. I really do enjoy it and I really do love it. That's so wonderful. The things that we love often don't, we don't plan for them, you know, they just kind of happen. Um, I think it's unrealistic to, uh, so many people change their college majors or, you know, they don't go at all. And there's just so much opportunity can come if you don't try to go in one particular prescribed path. So I think it's wonderful that you've kind of stumbled into this love. I guess with all of this said, I'm curious on just a just I guess right now how you are doing personally, like with all of this that's happening with school. Um, I'm just wanting to know kind of how you're feeling at the moment when where you are. I am surprisingly okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> like it, it has, I am very surprised. And I think part of it is, you know, when I had submitted my story, mm-hmm. it, I think to a level, I didn't really grasp how much Lupin had impacted me. Mm-hmm. And it's something I have been keeping more and more in the forefront of my mind. Like I do have a little pop of him on my desk oh. at school. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> For teacher goals. <laughs> yes. But it's just, I have been okay. And realizing that I can go through the chaos of, you know, right now I'm student teaching Monday through Friday, mm-hmm. helping out junior high musical, working on weekends, still taking two classes, trying to job hunt and prep for a big life altering move. Mm-hmm. I am okay. I can be okay. And I think half of it too is, you know, going back to how maybe Lupin has helped me as, as an adult is learning to roll with it Mm -hmm. and work with, in some ways, the advantages that can come with being ill. And I mean, that may sound weird to say, like, well, what can possibly, what can work in your favor, you know, when you have depression or things like that. Right. And just learning to work with it has made me it's made me so much more dedicated mm-hmm. and it has also taught me how to rest. Yes. Like when to be aware of, okay, you know, I'm getting too stressed out. I'm starting to slink back into a down slump. Mm-hmm. I need to give myself a day to just do nothing, to maybe just read, to get lost in Harry Potter or to do something else, watch a movie and that that's okay. Yeah. That's a hard lesson to learn. I'm really glad that that's something I know I'm learning myself and a lot of other people I know. That's just, it's so important to find that balance. So I'm, uh-huh. I'm glad that you're, that you're feeling okay. That's, that makes me really happy to hear. Um, I'm curious if you have any kind of advice for anybody else who may be struggling with any kind of mental or physical condition right now? Yeah. um, 
I would say my advice is to remember that while there are universal truths to dealing with mental illness and things like that, like it is a very individual experience Mm -hmm. and that that is okay. Like how you react to something, while it may not be the norm, like that is still how you react. Yeah. And whether or not that is a healthy reaction, you have to kind of work through and maybe find ways to work around it if it's not a healthy reaction. Like, I'll admit in the past, like, when when I was not okay, I did self-harm, things like that. Mm-hmm. Learning to not, I don't want to say accept because it's not the right word, mm-hmm. but to not guilt myself over my response to things yeah but to still not know to still understand like that's not okay right like it's it's a fair response like it's i'm not the only person who has done things like that like there's a reason for it Mm -hmm. even if it's not healthy so like there's no point in guilting myself over things that i have done that have not been healthy i have to focus you have to focus on all the future responses because sadly much like lupin with being a werewolf depression is typically not something that goes away Mm -hmm. it's usually something that if you have it you have it for life so if i'm beating myself self up over past down slumps i'm not doing anything to help myself prepare for the future down slumps right which if you don't prepare for them they're going to be just as bad as the past ones yeah so it's kind of learning from the things that you have done, I would say, and using that. Like there's, not to get off track from Harry Potter, but there's um, a YouTube channel I love that she has a lot of um, physical illnesses and she has mental illness. There's called Simon and Martina. And her philosophy is to build a ladder. Mm-hmm. That's been something that I have been trying to keep in my mind as well as what would Lupin do. And it basically says that like, if you were in a deep down slump, you may need a 20 foot ladder to crawl out of it. And if you spend your entire time focusing on trying to build a 20 foot ladder, you're never gonna get anywhere. Focus on the first rung, whatever that is. If it's just cuddling your cat or painting your nails or finding a weird looking bug and laughing at it (laughs) or Harry Potter going home for Mm. a little bit, whatever that first rung is, focus on finding that first rung and go from there. And then you may only be able to put build three rungs in a day. But hey, you're three rungs further than you were. Right. That's wonderful. So that would probably be my biggest advice is just build a ladder. You know, <laughs> whatever. I'm, I feel like such a fake fan right now. I cannot remember the name of the potion that Lupin drinks. Wolfbane potion. Yeah. Right? Yeah, Wolfbane potion. I don't know why my brain blanked on that. <laughs> whatever your Wolfbane potion is, use it. That's beautiful. I love that. I love that metaphor. And I suppose since we're running short on time, um, I just wonder if you have any other final words of wisdom or advice or anything you'd like to share with everybody. You know, just don't make yourself uncomfortable by forcing yourself to talk about things that you may not be ready to talk about. But if you get to a point where you can, even just the slightest comment can make a world of difference in someone else's life. Yeah. Like my daughter, she'll be nine this month. She was in counseling for various things. And I am also in counseling. I see a therapist. 
And she, in her little kid way, asked me if I could spend the night. And I said, oh, no, I have counseling in the morning. And she gave me a weird look. And she was like, why are you in counseling? You're an adult. And I was like, well, yeah, sometimes adults need counseling, too. Mm -hmm. Like, normal. Yeah. And I know just that that one little comment completely blew her mind and put a whole new spin on how she will see things for the rest of her life. So sometimes you don't have to necessarily put yourself out there. You don't have to open up to a degree where you're uncomfortable to still make a difference and to still be an advocate. Thank you so much for that. That is uh, that is really important for, for so many people who struggle with um, maybe they're limited in some way in how they can be an activist. It's really important to hear and let people know that uh, as much as you can do, that's enough. You know, you don't have to push past your comfort zone. Yeah. And if you're allergic to chocolate, I have found that Jolly Ranchers make a wonderful substitute. Oh, there you go. <laughs> That's what I keep in my desk at school for, <laughs> for my students. I'm like, I have a Jolly Rancher. Perfect for warding away dementors if you can't. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I'm <laughs> Try that. I always thought, oh, there's poor wizards and witches who are allergic to chocolate. <laughs> I know. Oh, that that must be horrible. Um, well, Anella, thank you so much for sharing all of this with all of us. It's been a joy to have you on the show. And yeah, just again, thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Letting me be a part of all that. Absolutely. Thank you all for listening. That was our interview with Anella. Anella, thank you again for sharing your story. Now, we all have stories, but some are more difficult to tell than others. We want everyone to have a chance to share, especially those who don't want to share their names or their voices. In today's Whisper segment, we're sharing the story of someone who looked into the mirror of Erised and learned a really valuable lesson. I've struggled with depression all my life, and even as a child, I spent a lot of time thinking about what it meant to be happy. What would it take to make me happy? How would I know when I'd got there? Have I deserved it? Have I missed the chance to learn it? Do my genetics make it impossible? What did other people have or know or feel that made them happy? Why is it so much harder for some than others? What was missing from my parents' lives that made them so unhappy? And are they closer or further from it because of me? One of my favorite moments in the entire Harry Potter series is in chapter 12 of book one, when Dumbledore gives 11-year-old Harry a clue to the magic of the mirror of Erised. The happiest man on earth would look into the mirror and see only himself exactly as he is. Harry, like most who look into the mirror, sees the thing that's missing, loving, happy parents, an extended family, a sense of belonging. For a time, he's overwhelmed by what-ifs, the knowledge of how different everything could have been. Harry struggles to let go of the image of his missing family, but eventually remembers to live again. I recently said goodbye to my therapist, a beautiful, warm, and loving soul who has helped me tremendously just by encouraging me to look inward and love what's there. One of the best sessions we ever had involved writing all the things that overwhelm and hurt me down on sticky notes and placing them on a mirror. I felt hopeless and tried not to cry as we did the exercise, 
as I try to describe my reflection, obscured and erased by the cloud of sticky notes. She carefully collected them from the mirror into a stack which she handed to me with an encouragement to look again. What I saw was a person holding in her hands all the things that a moment ago had felt so much bigger and more powerful than I felt. The depression, the worry for friends, the hopelessness, the memories, the missing things. I saw a person containing the story of her life instead of being overwhelmed and snuffed out by it. It was almost more of a physical sensation than a thought or emotion, a sense of being tall and alive and solid, a sense of self I had always struggled to experience. For the first time in my life, I felt like the person in the mirror was a real person. That was me. In our last session, I gave my therapist a small pendant I had made. It was an image of the mirror of Erised with Dumbledore's words written over it. When I read those words now, I think that perhaps I got it backwards. I had always felt that when I achieved being happy, filled in all the missing things, then I would know myself and feel whole. But learning to see and love myself is what has brought me joy. I no longer think of this happiest man as having collected all the things and goals and attachments he was missing, the things that create the greatest happiness on earth. Instead, I think of any person who might be able to look in the mirror and really see themselves for exactly who they are, a solid body, a living soul with a unique and infinitely detailed story full of hurt, love, hopes, loss, pain, joy, and experience, a story that belongs to only them. I think instead that the greatest happiness on earth must come from learning to look in the mirror with acceptance and gratitude for the person you are, exactly as you are. All right, everyone, that's all I have for you today. Thank you again for listening. If any of our guests have inspired you to share your story, please visit our website and fill out our submission form. We would love to have you on the podcast as a guest, or we can share your story at the end of the show anonymously as a whisper. Also, we would love if y'all would share this show with people you think might enjoy it. If you don't know many other Potterheads, another option is to rate and review us on iTunes. This helps the podcast get seen by more people. Join me next week for another conversation in the headmaster's office. Until next time. Bye.